Hello and welcome to the Movie Nuts Podcast. We are in our first post-Thanksgiving podcast. And uh, we did a little bit of a challenge between some of the Movie Nuts members to talk about some war movies. So I picked a couple of my favorites and Christy picked a couple of her favorites and we watched the four and they are an interesting mix of, quote, war movies, unquote, don't you think? Yeah, they're a random assortment. If you listeners were going to write down any four war movies you can think of, I pretty much guarantee that you wouldn't write down these four. I Actually, I absolutely guarantee you wouldn't write down these four. Uh, I don't even think you'd write down two of these four. Well, what what we ended up with were my two, I guess you might say, would fall a little more in the traditional sense, but honestly, blah, 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 not necessarily. Blah, blah. Yeah, um, My first pick was Paths of Glory, which is one of the early Stanley Kubrick movies, which is World War One. Then In Harm's Way, which is Otto Preminger's World War II Pearl Harbor beats the hell out of From Here to Eternity with John Wayne, and Christy picked two offbeat war choices. I like them. The first one I picked was a little bit of an homage to my uh, dearly departed daddy, was The Dirty Dozen, actually a huge favorite of his, and I have awesome memories of watching that with him many, 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 many times, and frankly, I watched it again as part of this exercise, and it still holds up. Um, Yeah, and it's wacky do because... You know, convicts and shit and things like that. But um, good times. I also picked Judgment at Nuremberg. Personal favorite of mine. Rob was poo-pooing me a little bit because he was saying it's not traditionally a war movie because it's after World War II. But it's about the trials at Nuremberg, of, you know, people um, being Nazis. And frankly, two thumbs up. Well, it's a, it's a great movie with an incredible cast. But as far as war movies go, if you think combat and conflict etc it's it's a it's very much of a a drama instead but clearly there's no disputing that it's connected to world war ii and the dirty dozen of course is is set in world war ii yes but has a a considerable anti-vietnam feel to it given when it was made yes so uh let's let's jump to my two because we've talked a little bit about this um i of course as you can imagine because i'm a huge kubrick fan i love Paths of Glory because I think it, it's it's a classic Kubrick film in that it's unexpectedly human, but but very interestingly done as far as the narrative goes. And you did not like it quite so much, so let's let's talk about it. Well, compared to In Harm's Way, I mean, I, the, of the two, because I had seen neither of them, I liked In Harm's Way more. Number one, but I will say this. I didn't realize it until you just said it. I'm sure you told me before, and I just didn't pay attention. Was that it was Kubrick um, for Paths of Glory? And when you say that, it's something clicks into place, and you go, "Ah, yes." There are shades of Kubrick definitely through it in the cinematography, without a doubt. And it's not that it didn't have moments. I mean, to me, there was a very you know, a spoiler alert, as some people are being executed, some soldiers are being executed at the end of the movie. Right. I mean, to me, I had kind of been sifting along a little bit of a blah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that scene actually made me sit up. Three guys being executed. One guy who, frankly, didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but whose name was drawn randomly from a hat, and yet was taking it like a man. He didn't want a blindfold. He 
was going to look people in the eye. He was facing his death with amazing bravery, um, despite being acute, being shot for cowardice. Um, a man who was the bulkiest of all of them, crying like a baby, wanting right. the, you know everything else. And then, actually, somebody who was injured. So they had him strapped to a bed. They sat upright. I mean, he. I mean, he was. He couldn't even stand on his own. It was such a bizarre execution lineup and the scene of it that actually it rebounded for me at the end with that ending. I mean... Right. Well, and, and for those who haven't seen it, it's set in World War One, and it's about a French garrison in the trench warfare era. And Kirk Douglas is a captain, and his... I'm going to get this wrong. Battalion, etc., is unsuccessful. Yes, in an advance, and it is decided by the higher-ups that as a punishment-slash-inspiration for the rest of the troops... To work harder. That, that, ...that they will execute some of the unsuccessful soldiers as having retreated in cowardice when Kirk Douglas was present and realized that they were... Overmatched, underplanned, and many well, other and things. Well, and they had a dumbass as a, like a high, high commander. So it's one of these things where he probably shouldn't have said like "charge, go, 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 go." And they did charge for a little bit, and then you know, as they're being slaughtered mercilessly, and they've got no support. And I mean, I mean, basically, it was one of those things where you could almost see it in their faces. You know, all right, well, I have two choices here. I can continue obeying orders and continue going forward, and we will 100% of us be killed and for zero ground. Or some of us can advance for a little bit and then go, screw it, and run back to the trench. And it was the people who ran back to the trenches they decided were cowards. Right. Uh, it's a great it's a great Kirk Douglas role. He gets to, to overact a little bit and, and chew the scenery. And he has a great scene where he confronts the general about yes. the choice of the execution uh and it was in fact this experience with stanley kubrick that caused kurt douglas to insist that he be hired to direct spartacus oh. which, which kurt douglas had creative control and he had dalton trumbo who had been blacklisted do the script and kubrick because he thought kubrick was such a, a great filmmaker mm-hmm. and one other baby piece of silly trivia the, the film ends on this very, very melancholy note where the surviving soldiers end up in a pub. Yes. And a girl who is obviously terrified to be there is brought on stage to sing for them. And mm-hmm. she sings this song that they all join in and, and the film ends. And frankly, it's an uncomfortable moment. That pub yes. scene was a very uncomfortable moment for me. It, it is, and, and it, it it's intended, I think, to cap... That you're supposed to be uncomfortable about all of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in many ways, I mean, war is always terrible, but this movie is just about almost the most terrible of it in some aspects because it's like the hard terrible. Because in, in like, a, a movie where there's Nazis and they're exterminating Jews and blah, 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 like, it's easy to say, okay, they're, the Nazis are terrible people, like... Bad right. things should happen to them, blah, blah, blah. Well, the, the enemy is never really seen. Well, that's the thing is, is but that's right. an easy turbo to deal with in right. war. It's another thing when you're looking at the friendly troops. I mean, this movie focused on... Well, there, there's no... The enemy is rarely shown in the film. Yes. So the bad guy or is the, the guy. general or yeah. are the leaders. But the, the, the random little piece of trivia is that the girl that sings at the end... Yes. Uh, Christiane 
Kubrick married, and that was Kubrick's really? longtime wife is the German girl who sings oh, in the wow. pub at the end at the, the the French the French people follow. But yeah, it's 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 a black and whiter. Yeah, and I didn't hate it. Frankly, I didn't hate it. I think the reason why when you first asked me about it, I went meh, is because unlike in Harm's Way, where I always I I, I never lost focus on the movie. Um, there were times in which, as I'm sitting watching Paths of Glory, that I would kind of find myself thinking about something else or being distracted, and then kind of have to snap my back in myself back in right. and be like, "Oh shit!" Well, this mean, movie's it, still going on. It meanders. There, there's no question. And, and I have a big patience typically, but it didn't quite. It's not that it didn't have powerful moments. It certainly had a powerful message. Definite overtones of Kubrick. It's just that. I, I'm not sure what it's missing for me, but it's missing something. Something. Well, segueing then, because Kirk Douglas yet again is an incredibly significant character in Otto Preminger's In Harm's Way. Yes. Which is uh, you. You and I have had, uh, and uh, Chris Shelton, who's also a guest, and I have both had really critical comments about the semi-legendary but totally soap operish, in my opinion, from here to eternity. Ugh. Uh, but in harm's way does Pearl Harbor in a much more visceral, yes, uh, gut wrenching sense. And and in harm's way stars John Wayne. And for all of you, John Wayne put her offers. He's great in this, and and he is not the Duke in the Western sense. But no. the, the cast of this movie is terrific, and basically it is the post Pearl Harbor uh, Pacific Front. Uh, and and it's 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 a it's a great movie, and it's interesting because Otto Preminger, who directed it, who has directed some of the great movies, mm-hmm. he'd be worth a podcast by himself. Uh, Man with the Golden Arm, Anatomy of a Murder. Preminger was a German mm-hmm. who who left during this, and in fact, Otto Preminger is the camp commandant in William Holden's Stalag 17. Oh, really? Uh, and so for him to do this movie, where obviously the Japanese are the are the enemy in the Pacific, mm-hmm. but from the perspective that he was a German during yes. World War II, makes it very, very interesting. But I've, I've always thought In Harm's Way was, was a war movie... With a, a different type of an undercurrent. Yeah, and I mean, it's set in the Pacific Theater. Um, John Wayne first gets blamed for how he does, you know, what he how he acts after during and after the Pearl Harbor attack. Then he later has redemption, and he is sent out to lead the charge, and is very very successful, you know, in the mm. Pacific. Um, but it's an interesting story with a lot of sidebars. In some ways, extremely moralistic. And in some ways, extremely modern. Um, for mm-hmm. the, for, I was surprised. Um, one was I enjoyed the adulterous couple banging on the beach. We don't see them having sex, but uh, yeah, they die in the Pearl Harbor attack, um, not right. because of a bomb, but because they're racing back in the car and uh, crash with the truck. So I enjoyed right. that the adulterous couple, you know, eats. Well, it's, it it's in a the funny attack. juxtaposition to From Here to Eternity. Yes. Where yes. the whole soap operatic thing about everybody sleeping with the wrong person and all this. Um, there's some of that in In Harm's Way, but it seems so much less as the world turns. It does. I mean, and honestly, just over and over again, 
I mean, some amazing, they, they do such a nice job of the heroics, but not the kind of raw, raw, it's almost too fake, you can't believe it heroics, right. because you've got somebody who does a great thing, but dies in their, like, you know, motion. You've got, you know, I, um, you know, John Wayne loses his leg, at you know, end, at right, the end. Right. Um, and actually, like, what I caught was, what I was surprised by was the sidebar story of the nurse that was raped John Wayne's Ugh. son's fiance who right. was, was raped and then later kills herself with pills because well, of that. It's one of the most interesting wow. parts of the movie wow. in that it's so raw. Um, and trying not to give too much away because, again, I, this is one that's worth the two and a half hours to watch. But, it really is. But this is another movie, too, and... and uh, Chris Shelton and I talked about this with the John Wayne podcast. It's so remarkable the number of John Wayne movies where other stars yes. agree to be in it because everybody loved being with the Duke. Yeah. And in this, Kirk Douglas plays Eddington, who mm-hmm. is basically cast off by the military, but then Wayne believes in him, mm-hmm. and Wayne makes him his chief of staff. He and, redeems himself. Right, and he is, he is super sharp. And completely on it, but but Patricia Neal, who plays John Wayne's love interest, senses something is wrong with him. Yes. And then it comes to fruition, and his ultimate redemption isn't pure. No. Because you, you, during the time frame, you would think, and again, we're giving away a little bit, but he, he commits a, an atrocious and horrific act by raping a nurse, and then... His guilt drives him to basically fly a suicide mission. But the way the suicide mission is filmed and John Wynn's reaction to it yeah. is unredeeming. Mm-hmm. It's, and the way it plays is so well done because there's no false sense that, well, well these two things are now equal. No, he dies a little short of his ultimate yes. goal... And so he can't redeem himself for this just horrific act. And his attempt at doing so falls short. And that's what makes it such a, a, a human moment in, in, the, in, in, the, in the concept of war movies, which have this terrible tendency mm-hmm. to drown those human moments in these little two-second vignettes of this person dies or this person so gets So they're absolved of everything. Right. Eddington is not. <laughs> and... Even when he, when Wayne is asked, because John Wayne's the only one that knows what really happened, about recommending him for the Medal of Honor or a citation, Wayne simply declines, and and it's a it's a very it's a very powerful moment. But in the context of a war film, all the characters are are fleshed out so well. Yeah, and there's some surprises for me, by the way, and then some familiar aspects. Uh, number one, anyone who, you know, has seen all the John Wayne westerns, I mean, we're all familiar with the John Wayne prototypical relationship with the son that he's been separated with for years and years and years. Right. Raised Red by mom, River, blah, all blah, that, blah, right. And everything else. And then when he, you know, meets him, there's that standoffishness, but eventually I'm proud of you, son, kind of. But an awkwardness to that relationship. Right. There is that same son figure out there. Yeah, he broke off with his mom, or mom broke off with him. He hasn't seen him for 22 years. I don't know. So right. there's that, which is familiar. But interestingly, I they kind of gave him an ugly girlfriend. 
I'm kind of surprised. I mean, she's not ugly. She's not fugly, but right. she's not the most attractive. I mean, she's older, but it's not because she's older. I'm saying it. I was a little bit surprised. I mean, they that they and pleasantly so that they didn't give you know John Wayne this like you know bombshell right. you know of a right. of a girlfriend. They gave her kind of an average plain Jane girlfriend, and I thought that made his character a little bit more intriguing, well, frankly. And and the son has the the cute little young nurse yes. that turns out to be dangerously flawed and her yeah, flaw leads her to falling for for Kirk Douglas's character and all yes. that. That that scene where John Wayne has to tell his son oh, that yes. she has killed herself and give him back the ring. Yeah. Is again you know, people give Wayne a, a, a bad rap, and some of it is deservedly so. But in the moments where he, he was is, a little bit too worried about communists. Yeah, but when when he's given a chance to really humanize a scene, there's a whole bunch of really great John Wayne moments. Absolutely, and that's one. And I, I always go back to um, the scene Steven Spielberg refers to in The Searchers, where we think he's going to kill Natalie Wood. And he picks her up, and she is at that moment totally helpless, and he says, Debbie, let's go home. And and for all the, the John Wayne cliches, of which there are many, yes. when he's given a shot at, at humanizing a scene, he's remarkably good. Yeah. And, and there's a, an ability to be vulnerable that doesn't match with the whole Rooster Cogburn, whatever. No. And, and this movie... He's vulnerable repeatedly. Yes, in including it. ending ending the movie with a vulnerable, with his leg being blown off, right. and him in sick bay. I, I mean, but for the fact that it's two and a half hours long, I mean, I was very I was very pleasantly surprised at when when I first it first started, mm-hmm. and I saw John Wayne's in it and Kirk Douglas is in it and all these. I mean, not that they're not all great actors, and I like them in other movies. It's just somehow I kind of sighed and went, oh, this has the right. potential to be, you know, over the top or too much. or yeah, You know I, who I think is so good in the movie and really helps make it is Paula Prentice. She the one who the wife. is keeping her post while yes. the guy. I love uh, that girl the, with the, the wife, The wife of the guy and she is, she is a civilian plane watcher. And when John Wayne goes to visit her to say Husband's her husband missing. is missing and all that... Through the tears, she keeps looking. Paul, Paul Apprentice is so good in this. Yeah, and and, and you, you know you root for her, and then her husband comes back. Yeah, and then he gets reassigned to John Wayne's group, and he is so proud of that. Yeah, and she of course doesn't want to let him go, but I, she she's so good in that. No, she's like I said, I was really pleasantly surprised, and and you know, and again, maybe if I had seen. If I'd seen Paths of Glory before In Harm's Way, maybe I wouldn't have been so judgy, judgy. <laughs> um, but frankly, I watched them both in the same day, and I happened, I did a little double feature. And, and they're different. And they're different, and that's fine. I like different. But the very fact that I did In Harm's Way first, and, and maybe that was it. Maybe the length of that beat me down a little bit mm-hmm. and made me a little less... Well, when, when we're patient ta- when, for we're, when we're talking length and we're talking great casts, it's got to be you got You can't be judgment Nuremberg. Uh, I love that movie. It's it's <laughs> such an interesting film. 
I, I from from the start, and, I, and again, let's give the three by five card description. It is about the Nazi war crime trials in Nuremberg. In Nuremberg, this is the film that really brought Maximilian Schell yes. uh, to American audiences. It has an, an incredibly good cast. William Shatner. And one of the things about the cast that's interesting, and you just allude to it with William Shatner, who is the, the main judge, Spencer Tracy's attache, is it has a very, very strange sequence of cameos. Yeah. Uh, unusual people... Playing Good cameos. Uh, Judy Garland. My God, she actually got a Best Supporting Actress nom- or Oscar for... I don't right. Know, she got the she, nomination I think she the got Oscar. the nod. Now, here, here's a piece of trivia about that. Nominated and won, Judy Garland held the record until this actress won Best Supporting Actress for a on-screen presence shorter. I don't know. Hold on. Kim Basinger in L.A. Confidential. She's barely in the movie, and she wins that. Yeah, and I no, think I she was giving head. To I think there you go. And uh, Judy Garland is barely in this, but got a nod. And then post accident, paralyzed face, mm-hmm. Montgomery Clift yes. is another significant witness. And there, there's an interesting story about that where Stanley Kramer, well, Clift was always notoriously difficult. Yes. And Clift had so much trouble remembering his lines for the scene. Now, he was supposed to be somewhat dull-witted, if you remember it. And apparently, Spencer Tracy, who loved Clift, talked to Clift. Wait a minute, was that the one who had been forcibly sterilized? Because he was supposedly... I can't remember the the phrase they used. I mean, politically incorrect now, they would say... Dumb-witted or retarded or or whatever. Right, right, right. Yes. But, but basically, he had been... His family were communists. His father was a communist. Right. And because he was dull-witted and didn't pass a competency test, he the, the judge steri- ordered him sterilized. Well, and, and, and Not, I mean, it was an important part of the movie. Not long, but an important part to bring to life... The atrocities. And Clift had long since gone past his matinee idol situation. He had the car accident. And apparently he had so much trouble with his lines. And it it made Stanley Kramer nuts, the director. And Spencer Tracy adored Clift's craft Mm -hmm. and went to uh, Clift and said, Just talk to me. And Tracy showed up for all of the shots, mm. even though obviously they're cut as if he's talking yeah. to him. He's not. And Clift improvised most of his lines talking to Tracy. Well, and I'm telling you that scene. I, I mean, the person that's on trial. There's several people that are on several, trial. There right. are three man tribunal, and the the primary focus uh, is on, in particular, a man who was a judge. And during right. the, during the Nazi regime, and interestingly enough, I mean, from out of the gate, somebody who's not an obviously bad character. Prior to the Nazis coming to the Nazi National Socialist Party coming into power and Hitler coming into power, this is a man who had helped craft the German Constitution. This is somebody who had been actually internationally renowned for his jurisprudence, and you know. 
right. kind of justice for all kind well, you've, of. You've got Lan- you got Burt Lancaster mm-hmm. as one of the main defendants. Then of course Maximilian Schell is the prosecutor, and the the summation of their point, yeah, is their defense was I was just following orders, right? Because this guy who you could on the surface of it doesn't look to be a bad guy, continues to be a judge while the Nazis are in power. And, of course, cases come before them, one of which being Montgomery Cliff, where here's a guy who is, you know, something is not quite right with him. He's not, as you know, the brightest bulb in the pack. And the judges, basically, for political reasons and for physical reasons, order that... Um, he'd be sterilized and the defense is is that well we just uphold the law and that was the current law of the land so we only know how to rule on it and it's it's an interesting thing but Montgomery Cliff his little piece where they interview him I mean it's extremely compelling when um, the prosecutors are talking to him in his story, but then when the defense attorney, who's this young buck, right, who's who very is, good at the job, I got it backwards. Uh, Shell is the defense yeah. attorney. Richard Widmark is the prosecutor. Okay, yeah, and Shell, and Shell, when he basically goes after him, and you know, and, including giving him three words and says, "Use this in a sentence," and I think it's something along the lines of "hair hunter." field you know so you should be able to come up with something like the hunter shot the hare in the field or something i mean and keeps asking him give it in a sentence i i mean that actually brought tears to my eyes well and that's that's why i agree and cliff's part was so important because he was a personification of of the horrors yes judy garland recited them the other witnesses recited them, but here was a person whose capacity to understand was so low, Yes, he didn't even really realize what they had done to him. Except that it was really bad. The whole, it, it, the whole movie to me is fascinating because in just a broader, overreaching sense, um, it's, it's a morality tale. I mean, at its heart, right. it's a morality tale. And despite the fact that you'll have at different points in this movie, as in in life, you know, detractors to a broader point. You know, there's somebody who comes along and says, you know, the American public's not really caring anymore about these trials. They've clung along right. for a while. Or, hey, this guy's not that bad. Or, you know, da 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 Or, hey, I've, I met and one of the judges meets and dates this really nice lady whose husband was convicted and see all well, the Germans Well, yeah, she has dinner with, uh, with and, uh, Marlena Dietrich. Yes, and right. all these different things. But at, at the... At the end of it, the overarching message is is that, I mean, there are some things in life, I mean, they're synchrosant. I mean, they're, they're invi- you know, inviolate. You know, you've got, you've got to, there is no ground. It's it's sad that, you know, you might be not be a flawed person or part good and part bad, but some things are just wrong, period. And you have to be able to draw the line and say, no, this is wrong and this is the decision we are going to make. And it's an interesting because with all of the, even with that moralistic message and everything from all directions pecking at it, you know, and they convict the people in the end and then promptly as the credits are rolling and they go about to roll the credits and they show the jail, they basically say all these people were out of jail within like seven years. So right. they were convicted, but 
Well, yes. Didn't stick. I and, mean, and, and the such is life. I guess the, the films, the films' choices of the people involved make some of the significance of of the rulings and the rest of it have the depth. Uh, I mean Spencer Tracy as the judge. No, oh, he's who, so good. Who's, who gives the that ending ten minute plus yeah. soliloquy about it? The, the the entire movie really is a prelude to his ten yes. minute speech about why this is happening. But frankly, you lead up to it and you have hmm. previews of it because there are some really brilliant scenes that are innocuous at first glance. That are quite powerful as you go back and watch it. Right. Of him, there of him walking along an empty stadium in Nuremberg, you know, and 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 kind of. And to their credit, uh, somebody doing the same movie, being a little bit more hackish about it, would have overlaid or cut in footage of actual like you know German crowds screaming and Hitler going da da da. And you knew what the scene was behind it. It's just that they chose instead, as he's staring at this empty, and they even look up the podium and they keep it empty, is is that they let your mind fill the ghosts of those people in. Right. And, and I thought that was an amazing scene, actually, for it being that way. Very powerful. Well, it, 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 it's, it's a difficult film it's a, it's to a film make the ghosts. because... It has to do two things that are very, very difficult to do on film and to maintain the the level of interest and, and do it. Number one is it had to explain why did these trials take place. Yes. The war had ended. The Allies had won. Why? Why are we prosecuting on top of that? And then as a second part... Mm-hmm. Why did we make a movie about this? Yes. And and again, that's that's <laughs> why I say not critically, but realistically, the entire film, all two and a half hours plus of it. I think it's closer to three. Closer to three. Is is the build up to Spencer Tracy's ten minute monologue at the end about why did we have these trials? Mm-hmm. And then intrinsic to that is why did we make this move to show you this trial? Mm-hmm. Never forget. Be, be, right, because because the 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 pain and the wounds reopened that in the in the wake of having won the war mm-hmm. might seem superfluous and and better forgotten and all mm-hmm. of that. And the shadows can't of be forgotten. Are looming because while all this is going on. Sure, Warner Klemperer says, You judge me today, the Bolsheviks will judge you tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as this is going on, the Soviets are partitioning Berlin and, you know, (laughs) um, things are starting to spiral out of control on the Eastern Front. Um, I just really enjoy it because it takes something complex. And a complex message, a complex situation, a complex message. And it doesn't try to simplify it in the film. Instead, it embraces that complexity. Right. And, and, it, and it says, no. you. I mean, and, and, and the only way that actually it, sh- it shuns the complexity is at the 10-minute soliloquy in the end, which is when he says, at the end of the day, complex or not complex, 
sometimes there is an, a right and a wrong. Right. And this particular case, this is wrong. And we have to stand up and say so. Um, and to me, that's all the more powerful that they tell a complex story in a complex way, but then say sometimes complex should right. and must be boiled down to its simplest. Well, there, there's no question. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to how meticulous the casting had to be to make this work. Yeah. A. a. But, but B, uh, again, it's odd to have a movie have to explain itself on that level. Yeah. And this movie succeeds because generally if you watch a film that has to explain itself in the end, it has some horrific voiceover (laughs) or something else that just makes you scream because the movie can't carry itself. And at the end of it, the the movie works because it carries itself and at the end when you're looking for all of this pain mm-hmm. to come to some level of closure the Spencer Tracy the judge tells you what the closure is in the context of the trial yes. and it's not it's not as you alluded to it's not some type of helicopter panning shot over Poland and Auschwitz and whatever with someone omnipresent talking. This is a, a judge delivering a black deli- and white verdict. Delivering a, a, a message about what has, has been heard and what has been seen and why all of this had to happen that 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 works. And and so when you picked this I I balked a little as a war movie only because it's a war movie with no action and I don't mean that insultingly but no, I no, mean no, but it's a, it's a war movie about what war means but usually in harm's way the action leads you to yes. going uh or even paths of glory where the trumped up execution yes. is a direct product of what you've seen on the screen and said, my God, I'd have run back to the trench too. Yeah. Or in or in harm's way, wow, what 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 bravery, what yeah. what our people did to make sure that the Pacific was not held by the Japanese is extraordinary, even if the message at the end remains how awful war is. Yeah. But this movie has nothing. It's all the it's all post war action and I use that term there is no action and you are you are left with the words of the people yes. instead of seeing any of it in a, in a meaningful sense so while not a war movie in terms of troops running up the hill but it's the, certainly the still bombed out it's not many years after the conclusion right. and there are things going on I mean it definitely obviously it's, it's a yes. scarred town holding trials that scar everyone. Yeah, I I mean, I, you know, if... I think you can argue it's a war movie because in this particular case, in in my mind, the conflict wasn't done as long as you're still pointing fingers and holding people accountable and and making people pay certain consequences. There are still people being executed from these trials and things, but you are correct, it wasn't. It was non-traditional. 
it's funny. It's one of those movies, and we all have them, and some are well-known and some are obscure. Right. And I can't explain it, but frankly, this is one of these movies that if I happen to sit down for a second on a Friday afternoon or a or Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday night or whatever, and I'm just click past it on TCM, there it is. Well, yeah. it's one of those things where maybe I yeah. only want to watch something for 10 minutes or half an hour, an hour, and I flip through it, number one, no matter, A, it's not like I'm tripping across it every week, but right. no matter where it's at in the movie and no matter when I have to go to bed, I'm like, damn it. It just started, and it's ten o'clock at night or twelve o'clock right. at night, and I got to get up in the morning. But I, I can't help myself. It's a compulsion. There's something about this movie that I'm like, what? Well, yeah, falling into the trap. Gotta watch it again. And it is another one of those movies where once you've seen it a few times, you pick up nuances. You know right where the movie is yes. in ten seconds of watching it. Uh, I mean, one of the great performances in the movie that has virtually no dialogue for the first two-thirds of it is Burt Lancaster. Yeah! Who simply sits and listens to all of it. And I, I think he I think he speaks at about 215, 220 oh, into yeah. the movie for the very first time as a primary defendant. But it is. It's one of those movies where if you turn it on and you're familiar with it, in about 10 seconds you say, oh... This is going to be the restaurant scene with Marlena Dietrich coming up. Or and Judy Garland's about to testify. Or, 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 or. Now, the funny part is, is this movie is actually on my DVR. So when we talked about, and the reason is because uh, when we were talking about war movies, which is why I was like, oh, because I just seen it. I was like, ah, Judgment Nuremberg. Was because you talk about some movies you just can't walk away from unless they're extreme circumstances. Right. Well, my extreme circumstances were a month and a half, two months ago. I was had to get up at like four, you know, about five in the morning. But I had woken up at like two in the morning, had heartburn, you know, kind of right. wide awake. Go take something for it, and knowing that I can't lay back down right away, that I need to be up for fifteen or twenty or thirty minutes. Right. Let the medicine kick in. I was like, oh, okay. So I sat down on the couch, but I was exhausted. I sat down on the couch, turned it on. Click, click, click. What do I find, like, almost immediately? Oh, Judgment Nuremberg. And because I know it well, I was like, oh, my God, it started, like, 15 minutes ago. And so I immediately hit record because I was like, as much as I want to watch this whole thing. I can't do it. I'm looking looking at my watch going. It's 2.20 right now. It just started. It's going to be right about the time my alarm's going to go off. Yeah, I can't Can't do do that. So... I actually only watched a few minutes until I thought I could you know, get horizontal again. And then I was like, oh, but I'm coming back to you, big guy, this weekend. And then the, that very next evening, I was like, let's do all it. All right, right. Judgment Nuremberg. Well, move, moving from a, a movie that is, I think, somber is an easy Ugh. word, uh, to your other pick. It's a yuck a minute. They're big laughs which, in which the Dirty is the, Dozen. The Dirty Dozen, which is a really. <coughs> Uh, really funny. different kind of a war movie. It's irreverent. It's 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 funny. It has several lasting effect elements of it. Yep. Um, it is the movie that ultimately got Donald Sutherland cast in Mash. Yes. Um, and it features uh, again a very simple premise, which is uh, twelve people who are in the army's penal colony. And are either going to be executed or spending a really long time in prison, federal prison. Yeah. 
uh, are offered the opportunity to go on what is tantamount to a suicide mission as helmed by Lee Marvin, who is deeply unloved by his commanding oh, officer, yeah. to go attack a, a retreat house that the German officers like to hang out at and bring prostitutes and generally relax for a long weekend has been targeted by the Allies to try to kill as many of them as possible. And since this isn't a mission that you can send a regular battalion, no. uh, Lee Marvin is, is tasked with, with leading these 12... Because who's going to care if they all die? Right. Uh, and, and to basically pull no punches with any of them. However, anyone that survives... Got pardoned. Is pardoned. So it, it has the, the carrot at the end. Uh, his commanding officer is played with his usual stoic cragginess by Robert Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, who does not know what's going on and is not brought into what's going on. Nope. And Lee Marvin is, well, Lee Marvin. And and his 12 is this whole <laughs> sequence of... Um, it's a great group. Murders, rapists, robbers, etc. Uh, it, it features some really great mid-60s casting... I, and I like the camaraderie amongst the well, the comp- first the competition. Oh yeah. Then the camaraderie. Uh, a, a few of them, and you'll you'll catch a few more names that I didn't mention. Telly Savalas uh, is honestly the actual psychopath of the oh, group. Oh no, um, he's cray cray. Like right. of all of these, he's a, like he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Like yeah. you actually look at him and say. Okay. Well, he can't possibly survive. Yeah, the yeah. It, it, is, let's is, let's yeah. hope that he doesn't survive this mission because if there was ever anyone that shouldn't get the pardon promised, it's, it's him. him. And and but at the same time, you kind of look at him and go, that psychopathic side of you, you actually might be the guy right, the who, most effective one of the dozen. Yeah. Um, Charles Bronson. Yeah, I is, like Bronson's uh, character, and I'm yeah. not a typically a Bronson fan. You know, be, before he became Mister Deathwish. Um, Bronson is great in a lot of movies. He's good in this. He's good in The Great Escape right. and other things. But and then he became, oh yeah. you know. Um, but Don- I like Bronson in this Bronson's one. Bronson's goodness. He has a dry it, wit about him. And uh, Donald Sutherland mm-hmm. uh, is another one of the dozen. And then one of, one of my favorite bizarre Hollywood whatever people, John Cassavetes, is also in this. Cassavetes is such an interesting story. Cassavetes was a an independent filmmaker married to Jenna Rollins, who is in uh, the Notebook. Never saw. Uh, Jenna's great, and and Cassavetes was a rogue sixteen millimeter filmmaker before that was like cool and people coming out of film school did this. And Cassavetes was a great actor, a good looking guy. And what he would do, would he would make these Hollywood productions, and he'd get paid his million bucks, and he would turn right around and put that into one of his <laughs> personal projects. So Cassavetes is in, alternatively, these really big Hollywood things, then these goofy art house movies that he would make. And Dirty Dozen, he's in this, and then he took that money, and I may get the chronology wrong, he made a Diary of a Mad Housewife with his wife, Jenna and Rollins, and Peter Fox. Which one is he? Oh, I'm going to have to look it up. But Castavetes is very Greek-looking with the big nose oh, and the square yeah, head. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. But like most of his other Hollywood turns, Castavetes does this, then he goes back and he makes Diary of a Mad Housewife, and then similarly, he is the, the husband in yes. Rosemary's Baby. Yes. 
And he took that money and he goes back and he makes these great art house movies, including movies that no one's ever seen. Uh, uh, Diary of a Mad Housewife, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie with Ben Gazar. And he always gets these really great character people to be in it. Like Diary of a Mad Housewife, Peter Falk is in. Oh, God. Uh, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, Ben Gazzara really? is in. And but Cassavetes did this balancing thing where he was a good enough actor and important enough that he would make these big time movies good in this role. and he'd get paid and then he would go take that money and he would make this wacky underground movie and then every you know his money would run out yeah so then he would come back and do it and you know, I like this movie because I mean in some ways I mean you know who you're rooting for you know kind of shifts around I mean. Yeah, the Nazis are the bad guys and they're out there. But in so many ways, this is about, you know, the American government and the American military machine versus this wretched group. Yes, this wretched group of, you know, people. Right. And with the exception of, you know, Mr. Psycho, uh, really you find something very... Well, intriguing again, or likable about so many of them. It's it's a it's again a very human movie in that this group of people who are all bad, quote unquote, are sent on this mission where you want them to succeed. You're not necessarily sold that they should all survive. Yeah. But you but also you do actually want some of them to survive, right? And but you and you also want Lee Marvin to kind of ram it up, Robert Ryan's oh, ass, yeah. because oh, yeah. Ernest Borgnine is on his side, Absolutely. and all these other guys, and and the uh, the sergeant that helps train them, played by Richard Jekyll, they're working hard to make this a success. Yes, and and so despite the fact that the Dirty Dozen are dirty, yes. Um, the, the the movie works on that level that you're ultimately rooting for them, but it's very careful to remind you back again that they're bad people. Yes, which, they never quite allow you to forget that. Right. Well, and and in the big climax, again, spoiler alert, as you like to say, um, in the house where they're trying to infiltrate and kill yes. as many of them. The fact that Telly Savalas is a really, really bad, awful person yes. betrays them because he gets a hold of a woman and he can't stand anything. I mean, I think in a honestly, he's psychopath. A, a more modern version, who knows what he would have done? Uh, but in that movie, yeah. in this context, he just wants her to scream. Yes, and, I mean he really right. betrays them through this. Right. Yeah, yeah. In a different modern modern context, this is bloodier. He and probably would have done something and... even more more horrific. But nonetheless, um, but it's 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 a it's a fun movie because it has all those great things where they learn to to rely on each other and gathers this motley crew and they they're they're inches from pulling off this ridiculous mission. Yeah. But of course ultimately it is a suicide mission. And it only is. so many of them And, and it. it is. Don't mistake it. It is a political movie. But you know what I always like in this too? This is like a, the, the Archie Bunker of war movies. Oh there you go. I mean frankly because it's it, I, I think that it has the very flawed 
working man kind of yeah, it's, it's people. A, it's a rough and the tumble movie. The downtrodden, you know, it's got the political angle, but yeah, a, a thread of ignorance through it from mm-hmm. the people that even though you kind of want to be on their side, you're like, I just can't have a hard time dealing with that ignorance, you know? Well, no, and, nobody in the movie... Even the commanding people no. are are pure. No. They're all broken. They're all corrupt. They're all wrong. And so because there's no one in the movie who represents anything too too distilled, yeah. it feels the I mean the the title covers it. Well, and it's interesting because you don't have anyone pure again to come back to that word that we've been using um it it all becomes shades of gray it's funny it 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 almost has you be kinder to some people because they're not what they're being held up to by comparison is also terrible you're like yeah that's bad but it's not that bad i mean that guy over there's a fucking psycho the dozen are dirty but the people that send them on this mission are no less dirty I mean, in the concept in and of itself. They're, Who designs something that's meant to be suicide? Right, right. And they, then you don't even have the guts to use people who want to volunteer for it, but these poor bastards will be executed right. that you're basically extorting to do. It's just terrible. I mean, but lovely. But it's a great movie. And, and of course, how do you laugh so many times in it? There are some really good laughs through this. Oh, yeah. And, and they're, the, they're the great dark comedy harsh laugh. Yeah. Because there's, there's the sequence... Early, where they're trying to defy Lee Marvin, and he pulls the one of them aside and basically says, "Look, <coughs> if you don't get back in line, I'm going to pull your face off." And, yes, and no one has dared say such a thing to these guys. Um, but ultimately, it's his unwillingness to accept their plight as an excuse. Yep. That 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 in makes, many ways that makes he treats them work. like soldiers. I mean, he treats them more normal than anyone else is treating them. Right, right. I mean, he still acknowledges that, but frankly, I mean, yeah, it's an interesting round out to it because you're certainly not getting chuckles from Judgment at Nuremberg or no in harm's way no. or I mean, you know, certainly not past the glory. But but well, and again, contextually. Because one of the interesting traditions of war movies is when they are made in a historical context, they are frequently, and this movie is no exception, a comment not on the war they portray, but on the war that is currently going yes. on. And this and is Vietnam a very Vietnam War commentary because of the loose discipline and the battles between the soldiers just trying to get by and the brass trying to follow no, you're the, the military. Right. And and Aldrich, of course, Robert Aldrich, the director, was 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 a frequent criticizer of, of, of Vietnam. So it's a World War Two setting criticizing and commenting on Vietnam, which of course was very popular during this time period. Oh, absolutely. And not the first time that's been done. One of my favorite times it's been done in which they're commenting on one war while a different one is going on. (laughs) You're going to laugh on this. It's one of my favorite things. Is uh, another Vietnam, damning of Vietnam. But if you go and watch the original Star Wars, like the war that's going on, it's fictional. It's the Empire versus, you know, the Rebels and everything else. And, and I saw that movie dozens of times when I was young. And then 
a few years elapsed because that was before it was really the VHS and I was waiting for it to be on TV and right. whatever. And I saw it again as a young adult and I'm watching it for the first time in several years. I watch it and as Han Solo is fighting off people, the Millennium Falcon or whatever, and him and Luke and are arguing and he whirls on to Luke and goes, look, man, I ain't in this for your revolution. <laughs> I can remember pausing right. that and going, yeah, that's not about who grew up in the 60s. But, that's uh, right. Oh, look what year the movie was made. Well, Hello, I, I, Vietnam. I look at, look at <laughs> Good MASH. Good morning, Vietnam, yes. Yeah, look at, look at MASH. It's in Korea. It's in Korea, so but it's, it's a, not. It's a Vietnam commentary. I mean, and by the way, they just, one of the, some channel on one of the like channels I have on satellite just started the MASH shows up again, oh, which the, I had the, seen for years. Yeah, the, the uh, TV episode. Yes, and, I, and I'm just like... Well, and, I got and, a DVR. I had forgotten and, and, how much I loved it. And that's an day. that's another interesting juxtaposition, which we will touch on, I guess, and walk away from. The movie is a very, very, very different animal yeah. than the series. Now, I've always loved the movie, frankly, better than the series. Really? Because I'm the opposite. Yeah, I, the series got awfully. Preachy Slapstick. to me. Uh, oh, it got very. Preachy. It got very preachy, and and I thought the brilliance of the film was that every time it it dared to get within shouting distance of preachy, instead Robert Altman took it to more ridiculous. Yes. About the moment at which you were afraid it would get too sanguine, they're playing football. Yes. And and I, I I always thought it was such a brilliant anti war commentary because every time it it seemed to be heading towards preaching to you, yeah. it just got more absurd instead, yeah. which sent its own message, but but was so much more effective to me because the entire football scene is as if they're in an alternate reality. Oh, yeah. Isn't there a war going on? And you never know it. Right. You would I mean, never know it. And, and the guy who who signals the ends of the course yes. that is shooting off a real 9mm, yes. <laughs> you know, and then the byplay on the sideline, and, and Sally Kellerman is as how, my God, they've shot him. And Henry Blake, hot lips, you incredible nukem poop. That's the end of the half. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know... That was the beauty Hold of it. Swift. Oh, what a what a what a gr- oh, what a great movie! But every time the movie dared to get too meaningful, it would sail further adrift into the absurdity. I might do enjoy which that. I think is a is a is a different approach. Now, episodic television can't do that. That's really not plausible. No. But as far as the film went. It was good. I, I thought it was. It, I thought it I was just it. brilliant that the movie continually refused to draw too close, but it constantly makes makes the point. But the absurdity is the point. Yes, I'm just glad that we didn't choose four obvious war movies. Right. I mean, right. and because frankly, I mean, well, um, the well, world but, doesn't need anyone else to comment on. Saving Private Ryan. Or Sands of Iwo Jima. Sands of Iwo Jima. Now, have you seen The Longest Day? I love The Longest yeah. Day. The Longest Day, 
I mean, I could wax poetic about it, but who wouldn't? I mean, frankly, because... Uh, speaking of great casts, right? But, yeah. But, I mean, or Schindler's List. Like, so many of those things yeah. just get talked about ad nauseum. I like that we picked four movies that weren't quite on everyone's initial radar screen. Well, so, I, I think in, in summation, if you're looking for a combat-based war movie... None of these are a bad choice. With, with a bigger... Seriously, two thumbs up. Yeah, a bigger... A bigger uh, underlying in harm's way has that. If you're looking at a film that makes a very strong but not preachy anti-war sentiment, Paths of Glory does that. With a little Kubrick fun twist right. thrown in. If you want to look at an anti-war sentiment taken to a different place which was Vietnam's place mm-hmm. the Dirty Dozen is there and, and if you want a a dissertation on what on when there are absolute means, rights and wrongs then you have Judgment at Nuremberg and it's so, brilliant by the way so yeah all, all, all four of these I think would get our hey watch them although Christy would say don't watch In Harm's Way and then watch Paths of Glory right and, after and, and, it you know what but, and, I, I almost feel like I now I feel kind of shitty. I really want to watch Paths of Glory again because now that I think about it, maybe back to back wasn't the best way to go about it. Well, I think you've, you've hit on the the one part of it though In that, the order that I did. struck you nonetheless, and and you've you've hit it is the point at which the execution happens, and the biggest guy is a blubbering pile of whatever. <laughs> the other guy is just going to stand there and take it. And the guy who is going to die of a skull fracture yeah. any minute now. And I mean, this guy is on his last breath. Yet they drug now. his bed out right. there and propped uh, him upright. It's it's what makes it's outright it's it's ludicrous. It's what makes the statement of the movie so so strong to me is that the decorum over the substance. And frankly, that last scene creeped me out. Now, if you jump right. just to the last scene, I don't think the scene creeps you out. I think you got to watch the whole thing. But if you got to see the whole thing, because... Then it kind of right. gives me the little heebie-jeebies a little bit. Like, I'm not so sure that... Right. Immediately after, like, that song singing, somebody's not going to, like, take her to the side and rape her and yada the, the, yada. The, yeah, the, the, the overall melancholy is so thick in that scene. Here's another piece of trivia, by the way. I love trivia. One of the three executed guys, yeah, Kubrick, is the bartender in The Shining, Joe Turkle. That is, yes. You're right. Your money's no good here, Mr. Torrance. Money's no good here. That's that's Joe Turkle, who is also, who is in there, and who is also, reaching back into strange science fiction, he is also... Um, the owner of the company in Blade Runner that oh, that yeah. Roy Batty kills by pushing his eyeballs back into his head, and his name eludes me in that. But, oh yeah, but yeah. So well, speaking as somebody who, frankly, has been accused of having you know weird music movie tastes, and I tend to poo-poo a lot of movies that others do not. Right. Um, actually, I find myself color me surprised that I would recommend any of the four of these with. An asterisk, you know, Got for it. Pounds of Glory. Got it. Um, so, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, we, we tried to pick four war films that we thought would be a little bit off the beaten path for everybody who was interested in that to watch. And they feature 
some some really great performances. Uh, they're carried by some awfully strong acting, including again, if you want to be critical of him, John Wayne, Kirk Douglas times two, and then Spencer Tracy, Spencer Tracy Maximilian Schell, Richard Widmark, and then. Lee Marvin and the Dirty Dozen. So if you're looking for a war movie that might not be right off the battlefield traditionally, uh, we, we both liked, to varying degrees, In Harm's Way, Paths of Glory, The Dirty Dozen, and Judgment at Nuremberg. I think we should do Christmas movies. <laughs> In the next month, clearly, we'll have to do Christmas movies. So for, for now, we did our Offbeat War Movies podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we are... The Movie Nuts Close Group on Facebook. So if you're interested in joining, please ask for an invite. Or let's talk about movies of any sort you are interested in. Movies, actors, actresses, other interesting stuff. And we will see you again sometime soon on the podcast. Thanks again, Christy. Thanks for having me back. Always good to talk to you. And we will come up with Christmas movies. Yes. Or maybe offbeat Christmas movies. I, I feel like you can't do the obvious ones either. If we're going to, you know, do it, we got to... Because you know what would happen if we picked the obvious ones? Well... We'd be Scrooged. Uh, no, that's a... Please end this. Where's my Where's my drum? I know. Please end it now. Ba-dum. Thank you. Good night, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs>